find what you're passionate about and do that. Do it in a way that helps the people around you understand that this is more important to you than anything else. For me, it was sports. Hello, and welcome back to South Asian Stories, where we hear from South Asians around the world and uncover their identities, successes, failures, and most importantly, stories. I'm your host, Samir Desai. In this episode, I chat with Neetha Shrikanth. Neetha is a sports media maven and has had the incredible journey through some of the most iconic companies. Neetha got her start in the digital and social media world at the Dallas Cowboys. She then transitioned to ESPN, working in their social media department as an associate producer and manager for a little over four years. There, she helped ESPN maintain a number one ranking in sports social media engagement during her entire tenure. Her experiences in social media brought her to IGN Entertainment as the director of social content and strategy. During her time at IGN, Neetha transformed them into a global leader in social media engagement with a focus on video games, entertainment and pop culture, overseeing relationships with social platforms, spearheading content partnerships within the company, and drove social content strategy around key events such as E3, San Diego Comic Con, New York Comic Con, and South by Southwest. Neetha Srikanth was currently hired as Chief Operating Officer as Influencer in October 2019. She currently oversees the, the company's marketing, partnerships, emerging strategy, product innovation, and athlete network teams while building Influencer's brand as a leading social media content delivery platform for sports. In this conversation, we discuss how Neetha spearheaded some of the biggest social media moments for the Dallas Cowboys, including hashtag finish the fight early in her career. How asking the right questions is so critical for capturing the right content. She shares an amazing story with Tom Holland and Spider-Man. Where and how Neetha thinks social media is headed and how to continue entertaining your audience. Neetha is a social media trailblazer and her stories are just killer. So without further ado, Please enjoy my in-depth conversation with Neetha Srikanth. Neetha, welcome to South Asian Stories. We're so excited to have you. Thanks, Samir. I'm happy to be here. How's it going on the Sunday morning? It's a wonderful Sunday morning. I'm excited to get past some of the stuff that we've been dealing with and fired up about what's to come. I know. I, I feel like, uh, you know, as you guys heard in the, the bio, Anita is uh, in the sports world and in, in this global pandemic, things are a little different than what you expect. So we'll definitely touch on that. But right now she's she's ready to go in in her uh, Oregon jersey and uh, ready to talk about all things sports, social media and, and the like. But let's let's get back to the beginning, Anita, and talk about your childhood. Tell us where you grew up, how you grew up and, you know, how South Asian or, or, or Indian was, was your household? Yeah, born and raised Arlington, Texas. Uh, mom is from Bangalore. Dad is from Hyderabad. Um, they got married and my, my dad actually moved out here for, um, for college at UT Arlington. Um, brought his entire family out here, got married, moved out here and, and raised myself and my brother, who's older than me, Nikhil. Um, you know, it was a, it was a, like many people, it was a battle between living in America and trying to keep as much of the Indian roots as possible. Yeah. 
Uh, we, uh, you know, every weekend we would go to someone's house for a budget and we would have um, some, you know, home cooked meals and stuff like that. At the same time, I was struggling with the, the motivation to play sports and be with my friends. And my brother was, you know, motivated by similar things on his end. So we were always battling the culture of America versus the culture of India. Mm-hmm. My parents, frankly, just struggled on how to adapt to it because it was, it was a new world for them. So when I was raised, I was raised with the sort of push to, to try and stay as uh, true to the Indian roots as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And here I am now. <laughs> so growing up, what kind of sports were you playing all sorts or focusing on a one or two? So actually I grew up playing soccer. I was a stud playing soccer. I mean, I don't boast for myself much, but I was, I was really good. I was on one of the best teams club soccer wise. I was destined to be great. I also played tennis. Um, my, my, my dad and mom actually like put me in a lot of athletic activity, tennis, soccer, baseball, softball, basketball. Um, I was doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you got, done with high school how did you choose where to go to college was it on you know did you want to follow your passion for sports soccer and tennis or you're like okay i want because i want to follow something academic related or was it a combination of the two because i feel many times we talk to you know south asians they're pulled from both directions they have a passion for x but their parents are like hey we want you to do y because it's better for you better for your career did you have that tension at all I did have some of that tension. Um, actually, I was mostly vot- motivated about getting away from Texas, <laughs> going to college. And it wasn't because I wanted to get away from my family. I just knew that for me to grow as a human being, I needed to get away from what was close and get out and do something a little bit scary. So right. I just started out. I went to Oregon because I wanted to get away from something that was completely different from Texas and completely yeah. different the safety net that I had. Um, and it was that push-pull relationship between academics and, and, and sports but at the same time, what really was motivating me was I wanted to go out and push myself to a limit and be on my own. That's awesome. Tell us about your experience at Oregon. Well, I was only at Oregon for about a year and a half, actually. Okay. I went there. Um, I, I initially started out on the, on the basketball team, but you know, I had some health issues that forced me to, to leave after that because I, I just I got depressed with the weather being what it was there. For sure. Especially um, a Texas girl, right? With it's all sunshine. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, uh, you know, I had a great time there. I actually went back and spoke there a few years ago to the to the some of the classes and the professors that I was I was with. Um, my experience at Oregon was great. It, it was the first time for me to be out on my own. It was the first time for me to understand like a different mentality of of how people grew up in in a different part of the region. Yeah. Yeah. It was also my first experience with like nature. I had never seen such beautiful landscapes in my entire life. For sure. Coming from Texas. <laughs> the pancake um, of Texas, right? Flat. Exactly. <laughs> um, but most importantly, it was my first experience with an enthusiastic fan base for something that wasn't the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and so understanding how people rallied around a college town um, of Eugene and were rallying around the mighty Oregon ducks the way that they were just, you know, I still wear Oregon gear because I'll never forget those, those memories that I had there about how, how much fun it was to wake up on a Saturday morning and go out to a tailgate and then get out to Alton stadium and go, 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 you know, watch, watch the football team play. For sure. For sure. That's an experience. (laughs) And so you spent a year and a half 
at Oregon? What took you, where, where, where'd you go next? I went down to Los Angeles where I went to Cal State University in Northridge, um, part of the Big West Division One program. They initially had recruited me out of high school, uh, but I turned it down because I was given better opportunity, obviously. But I went out there because I was like, you know, what? I need a refresh start. I need to get back healthy. Um, I want to restart my career, but also I, I wanted to figure out a place that was going to be the next step for me beyond basketball. Because I knew at the time when I was leaving Oregon, basketball was not going to be my professional future. I needed to start thinking seriously about what was going to be next for my career. And I took the bet that going down to Los Angeles, where there was going to be a lot of opportunity, there was going to be a lot of you know side hustles that I could do beyond sports, beyond school, um, was probably going to be the best place for me. So I took that, you know chance. And, um, I made that move primarily because it was in the epicenter of where I wanted to be, which was entertainment content. You're at the hub. Um, I want to, I want to ask you this. You got a basketball scholarship, but you said you were really good at soccer and tennis. How did that happen? Maybe I missed that. I, uh, I actually had knee surgery whenever I was in, I think it was ninth grade. I had knee surgery which when I got into high school, I was, I made a uh, varsity my freshman year of soccer. Um, but I just had knee surgery. And I, when you have knee surgery at such a young age, you start to lose, um, especially on, on a sport like soccer, you start to lose some, some speed. Mm-hmm. And I started this after that, I just I started to get slower and slower and slower. And I just said, I can't keep up with this. I, I got to go to move to basketball, which is, it's not about how fast you are in basketball. And luckily at, at the time I, I was, it's crazy. I was about five, seven, uh, heading into high school. Wow. When I left, when I left high school, I'm six, six, two now. So <laughs> got a little bit of growth part. <laughs> something happened there. It was like the, the magic touch of the, of the, uh, the blade on my knee or something, but <laughs> I just all of a sudden just, just shut up. That's funny. Okay. So going back to your transition to LA, man, you were in the big city. Tell us what the highlights and lowlights of living in LA was. And and I want, I'm curious to know like the side hustles you were talking about. What did you get into outside of school? Um, the highlights you're in Los Angeles. Um, you know, the people you meet, the things that you do, the bars that you can get into and (laughs) the people that, you know, I, 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 I still live in LA and I am very close with my college friends and we all the time we pop open a drink. We're always thinking, my gosh, remember, remember this, remember that. And it starts to get to get, to get into stories. Like one time we went to, um, we went to Hollywood after our season ending banquet and I was driving. Uh, we had just all turned 21 and two of my teammates just got incredibly intoxicated and uh, long story short, I was carrying them off of the side streets because they were just they were just belligerent. <laughs> and I, and I, I bring that up because like that is kind of what L.A. is. L.A. Yeah. is like yeah. you can you can go out and have as much fun and get out of control as you can. But the people that that make themselves better in that city are the ones who take advantage of the yeah. side hustles, which for me was. I was not only playing basketball, I was not only going to school full time, but I was also doing internships. My first internship when I was there was with the Los Angeles Lakers, where I was really an operations intern. And my focus as an operations intern was basically whatever they asked me to do, whether it was taking VIP tickets from the player's uh, communication PR rep um, out to the ticket office box, or was it 
you know, hey, we were short on the event marketing staff. Can you please help out with coordinating, um, you know, what the halftime entertainment show is, like getting the logistics of like the performer from the green room out to where they need to be in, in positioned. Um, or it was the doors are opening and we're out of, you know, brochures. Can you please take some of these brochures up to the to the people that are handing them out, the ushers? So I was basically doing whatever they asked me to do. And I did that in the 2009 year when they last won the uh, NBA championship. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was my that was my job or basically my, my hustle the entire year. And I say side hustle because it it essentially like you can you can break down your career into two ways. One, you can be you can be money motivated or you could be just like experience motivated. And my side hustle has and always has been about experience, not about the money. Um, up until now. Um, and so I did that first and then I, I transitioned into my senior year, which my senior year was primarily focused on, okay, I know this is my last year in college. Mm-hmm. I have no plans to go back to school anytime soon. I'm done with it. <laughs> um, what's next for me? So yeah. I, my last, my last hustle there was with CBS entertainment, which I was basically, uh, a media relations PR intern, um, that was around the time that Twitter started to become really popular. Um, it was in 2009, 2010. Um, so I became an intern for CBS Entertainment, CBS Television, for their primetime TV shows, um, Two and a Half Men, How I Met Your Mother, Amazing Race, Survivor, where my job was pretty much to go be at the the table reads, to be with the the talent whenever they were getting interviewed by media, anytime they were shooting stuff. My first week on the job as an intern was the same week that Charlie Sheen started to act out a fool. Oh, God. And <laughs> so uh, my, my, my job that first week was, hey, welcome. Uh, can you please transcribe everything that he says in the media for us? So I was literally on a computer my first week as an intern, just transcribing everything he was doing and saying out in the media. Um, and that was some crazy was, shit that he was saying. <laughs> it was crazy. And the craziest was he actually did this TMZ live where yeah. he, um, he was live from his, uh, <laughs> he was live from his house with Harvey and what he was doing. Uh, he had a couple of porn stars with him in the background and I literally had to transcribe porn star. That, and I was like searching who the person was too, because oh they wanted to know who the information was. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, I was like, you're like, how do I put this on my resume as a bullet, right? <laughs> Transcribe Charlie Sheen and, 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 his, and his porn stars. That's so funny. Exactly. Okay, so you graduated. And I, I love that you're like, I love that the line you said is being money motivated versus experience motivated. Because I feel a lot of people in our community, Nita, are money motivated. Like there's no, yeah. there's no like question about it, but we're focused on the money. We choose careers that have money. You know, we're, we're posed in traditional career paths, but being experience motivated is something that is far richer. And I think it's the long game. It can, you're, you're building the building blocks of your current career starting yeah. way back in college, which I think is incredible. Um, so when you, how do you think you developed that mindset just going through? Or did did you look at it retroactively of like, oh, this is how I thought about it all the time? Or was it something that you just did automatically of who you were? Um, that's kind of been trained into me from my parents, uh, particularly my dad. My dad, um, you know, he was just always like, don't worry about money. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about money. As long as you're working hard, like the money will come. The money will come. And I always had that mentality Sweet. of, 
if I just bust my ass and work my ass off, like at some point I'm going to make that transition to something else. And it always worked out in my favor that I just never growing up. I just never cared about money. I never was money motivated. I just, I just never was, never was a thing for me. Like I'm thankful that my, my, my dad, um, and my mom, like they gave us a very comfortable living growing up. And, you know, I, I realize how grateful I am for the, for the, for the, the, the youth experience that I had compared to what a lot of people are going through right now. For sure. And so I just, I just felt, um, that it would be a shame if I were to waste the opportunity that I was given by being motivated by something that my, that probably wasn't going to be helpful for me long-term. That's awesome. I love that. Okay. So graduated, uh, from, from your college, have a few great internships under your belt. What, what did you do next? Where did that take you? Uh, timing was great. I was uh, finishing up school in the summer of 2011 Right around the time the epic Dallas Mavericks made their run. That's right. Um, which, by the way, I didn't get to. I was a ball kid for the Dallas Mavericks growing up. I was from seventh grade until I graduated high school. I was a ball kid where I would go to every single Dallas Mavericks game and I would rebound for the players before the game. Um, and, and I would like, I'll be one of those people that whenever the players fall or they shoot free throws, I would go, I would run out with a mop onto the court yeah. and just scrub, <laughs> scrub it down. Um, I did that for, for five, six, five, no, seven years, yeah. six years, six years, six years yeah. I did that for. Um, so I was, I'm a, as hardcore of a Dallas Mavericks fan as it can come be, even during the, the crap seasons that they've had over the past few years. Um, I was, I was graduating the same summer that the Dallas Mavericks made their run against the Lakers, the Heat, and they won their NBA championship, which side note was so fun because I was talking so much shit to all the Lakers fans that were out there. Oh yeah. And yeah. in fact, I I went on, I remember going on Amazon and buying a bunch of mops and or uh, brooms and sweet. I would hand, I was handing them out to people cuz they were sweet. Yeah, exactly. 4 and 0 baby. We 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 swept them. Yeah. Um, and all the Lakers fans all they do is talk shit. So I was just like handing them out to people these brooms. And I said, what time is the Lakers game tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so funny. I was I was graduating in summer 2011, around the time that the NFL was in a lockout. They were uh, renegotiating their CBA. Um, and so it was perfect timing because there were a lot of people that were furloughed and let go that moved from the NFL. And there was also a hiring freeze, so those jobs were not backfilled. So right around the time that I was getting out of college was the time that the NFL was coming to an agreement with the players and they were going to have a season. So the essentially the lockout was lifted pretty much two weeks before I was going to officially uh, – it, was, it wasn't officially done until after I graduated, but they knew it was going to come two weeks before I graduated. So um, the people at the Dallas Cowboys were looking to fill a couple of roles that they had um, vacant. And so they were reaching out because they needed to hire quickly. Um, they reached out to my mentor at the Dallas Mavericks, who was my ball kid manager, Jim Guy. Um, he put sure me in touch. Excuse me. He put me in touch with um, one of the hiring managers there, and they were looking for someone to come in and, and focus on their their fan marketing uh, department, which is basically they had a fan club, they had a CRM database that was tracking where all their fans were. It was a very digital CRM based job yeah. and it really fit my background of like content marketing essentially. Right. Right. So, um, it worked out where I was graduating 
And then I would I drove home over a weekend and I started my job on Monday. No way. That quick. Yeah, it was it was that quick. It was that quick. I did not have a I did not have a break at all. And that's um, funny that um it, it came full circle, Nita, that your boss as a ball boy helped you get your first job out of school. Like how crazy is that, right? That's crazy. I mean, but but one of my biggest things I speak to to kids about whenever they reach out is like network. Networking right. is the most important thing. Yep. And it's not about like reaching out on LinkedIn or Twitter and going to, you know, meet people you don't know. It's who do you know? How do you keep them engaged and abreast of what you're doing? And how do you develop more meaningful relationships with them? Yeah. And it, it comes full circle with every job I've ever received or worked in has been through networking. Like it's not been going and applying to a job um, or putting my resume out to a thousand people. Yep. It's been by leveraging my network to get to the person that's making a decision or by net, my network connecting me to someone who's put me in that position. That's it. That's, that's it. it. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about, so you're 22 years old. You're on day one of the Dallas Cowboys. What was that day like? Were you nervous, excited, anxious, all of the above? I was, I wasn't nervous or anxious. I think it was kind of like a, okay, I'm here. Let's, let's go. fucking do this. Let's yeah. do it. Let's go. Yeah. That's what it was. It was like a, here we go. Cool. Because I mean, I had worked for the Lakers. I had worked for CBS. I had seen things. And so like, I think the one thing that maybe would have changed a little is I was a fan of the Cowboys. Like I was, my, my dad's a hardcore fan. My brother's yep. a hardcore fan. Like I was a fan and I was getting to see some shit that no one else gets to see, you know? So tell us about that. Like, can you share some of the behind the scenes stuff that people would be like, Oh wow. I didn't know this. Yeah. There's, there's some stuff. Um, listen, I got to go on the road trips with the team. Um, towards the end of my time there, the last two years, um, you know, we, we would take the, the charter plane and you would go into an area of DFW airport that was secluded and, you know, just, just seeing like after a win, the guys are in the back of the plane, you know, popping some bottles and partying and, you know, they, also like the cookies that they give on the board. Like there's, there's a lot of fun things that I can, I can share without giving too much. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, we, I went to London with the team for a week. That was probably one of the coolest experiences I've ever been a part of. We had dinner as a team, at the tower of London, um, commissioner Goodell showed up. Um, one of my favorite photos, I can't find the photo. I've been looking for it for a while now, but there's a photo where I photo bombed a picture of, Goodell, Jerry Jones, Tony Romo, and Des Bryant. And I'm at the back just like with this like really bad face, like like yeah. mocking them pretty much. Yeah. Um, I can't find the photo anymore. I, those, I used to have it. Those are not small people in the Cowboys organization. <laughs> no. No, not at all. Wow. Um, cool. So uh, you spent how many years at the Cowboys? Like two or three? Four and a half years. Four and a half. Okay. And did your job evolve from the fan experience to other responsibilities or yeah. how, what was the trajectory like? My job evolved twice, um, actually once. So initially I was focused on like understanding where our fans are and how we can monetize them. 
through email marketing, SMS marketing, and just direct marketing um, wherever they were. And then it evolved into a content marketing role. So it was how do we engage our audience because we were we were shifting away from traditional methods of marketing and we were we were moving into a more digital friendly future where everyone with a phone is someone that it needs to be engaged with, but not engaged with just like a simple ad messaging. You need to engage them with content. And what we learned with the Cowboys was um, what, what we knew at the Cowboys was we had the access. We had the leverage of access. Like that was one way that put us set us apart from everyone else is like we were able to walk up to a player at the locker room and say, hey, is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes or no? <laughs> like we were able to have that relationship with them and yeah. create some, you know, fun content that wasn't. What was your thoughts on the game? Why didn't you run that route properly? Like, right, right. why did you drop that ball? Like we didn't we didn't want to be that the Cowboys. We don't we we didn't want them, the players to see us as part of the entire media. We wanted them to see us and see, okay, they're going to come ask me some fun questions that are going to be completely different. I'm going to talk to them. And it became where, you know, we, we had, when I was with the Cowboys, we had three, eight and eight seasons and then one 12 and four season. Um, And so during the eight and eight seasons, it was, oh my gosh, like we had this like awful loss. We're not going to make the playoffs again. Yeah. I have to fulfill this media obligation. Who am I going to talk to? And we became the easy outlet because if, if they talked to us, they fulfilled their media obligation, right? So they would come to us and they would answer our questions. Um, <clears throat> and then they would be they would be done, right? So um, we were able to develop the relationship during that content marketing way by by talking to the athletes and, and doing fun stuff. So my role evolved away from the more database, you know, ancient mindset of of creating content or, or engaging audiences to the new form of technology, which was social media. How are we going to come up with viral content? How are we going to leverage our access to these athletes and do some viral content? And so that that's kind of how it evolved into. That's cool. Uh, Nita, is there a favorite piece of content or piece or pieces of content that you did at Cowboys that you're like, wow, I was really proud of this. I was really excited how this turned out. Yeah. The end of my final year there, we were going to the playoffs for the first time, and we were we were good. Yes. Like the team was. Good. I remember that season. Uh, we did this campaign called "Finish the Fight," um, where we, you know, the entire year, Coach Garrett had been, you know, I actually was wearing this shirt the other day. Where fight, 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 fight. He wanted the players to fight for everything. Fight for, you know, the ball. That was the entire mantra of the team. Just fight. Yeah. Um, and when we got to the playoffs, we said, okay, we need to have some sort of hype video that gets everyone fired up. And it was finish the fight. And so we created some really cool sizzle reels. The one that ended up going everywhere was this piece that we worked on. Um, it's been a while, so I can't remember exactly what it was, but I always think when I think Cowboys and what my job was, I always think finish the fight. Um, and I have, I have a couple of shirts where, one is the fight shirt. The other is we had this own mantra within our digital team called FFOFL. It was a hashtag shirt that we had. It was a FFOFL. And it was, we, we said externally it was finish first or finish last, but really it was fighting for our fucking lives. And that's what, <laughs> that's what we, we as a digital team were thinking is we're fighting for our fucking lives because we're, we're working our butts off to help 
capture the story of this team with the access that we had that yeah. we were working 90 hours a week during the season because the team was winning and we were the most discussed team out on this in the digital landscape yeah. as well. Everyone as on wanted Facebook. a piece of the Cowboys that season. Everyone wanted a piece of the Cowboys. So we knew after three straight eight and eight years, this is our opportunity. Yeah. And so we were just going to fight for our fucking lives the entire season. And we were going to try and capture and, and to give, bring the fans into the behind the scenes as much as possible. And if that meant we were working after the, after a Sunday night game in New York, um, we were working until, you know, 5 a.m. on the plane. And then we went and took a 45 minute nap and we were coming in at 8 a.m. on Monday morning and getting ready for a Thanksgiving game um, a couple of days later and working entirely through Thanksgiving. We were going to do that. And we did that. Um, and so I, I attribute that finish the fight video as like the best thing we've done because we were creating that as we were also doing our regular jobs and getting ready for um, what was going to be, what should have been an epic playoff run until Dean Blandino stepped in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man, that is, that is wild. And I think just the work ethic and passion you have, Nita, is just flowing out of you, which I think is so cool because people can work hard. People can work their butts off if they feel they have the mission that, that they're playing with, <laughs> that they're, behind and the organization that they're supporting is something that's powerful to them. So that is so cool. So after that was done, um, was that your last year at the Cowboys and how did, what did you do next? My last game at the Cowboys was the game in green Bay. Uh, we went, I went to green Bay with the team and sitting up in that press box, seeing Dez catch it. I was literally screaming in the press box. You're not supposed to, Fucking caught it. Yeah, <laughs> they fucking caught it. That's right. That's right. And I was like, where where headed where are we headed next? I was thinking, I was I was mapping out on my computer during that challenge, because I was like, that's a catch. Um I knew at the time going into the playoffs that this was going to be my last my last go with the Cowboys because um I had been reached out to by ESPN. Um and ESPN was recruiting me to come pretty much do what I was doing with the Cowboys to go do it up there. Yeah. Um there was a Monday night game between the Redskins and the, and the Cowboys on ESPN in Arlington, where I met a guy named Jason Romano. And we had been keeping in touch throughout that time. Um, they had some openings coming up and they pretty much were like, one of these is yours if you want it. And so I went in, I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be it. Let's have one last hoorah and I'm out. And so I left ESP. I left the Dallas Cowboys at the end of Feb, end of uh, February, 2015 and I was with ESPN at March of 2015. Um, I moved from Dallas to Bristol, Connecticut, which is where the headquarters are for ESPN. Yep. And that was my first time officially leaving Dallas again after coming back from college. Um, and I went there and I joined their their social media team. And my job there was primarily focused on the NFL, but um, because it was an emerging department within ESPN, I was really tasked with it, everything. When I first stepped on uh, to campus at Bristol, you know, my first week, I'll never forget this. We had Rob Gronkowski and Odell Beckham coming on uh, onto campus for a um, Madden cover shoot, which or a Madden cover play where they were they were battling to see who was going to be on the cover between the two of them. It ended up being Odell Beckham, but it was a fun, uh, fun first week. And then I also was covering the NBA playoffs. I was covering 
MLB draft. I, w- I was doing everything that a wow. sports fan dreamed of. It, yeah. was, it was awesome. And I, 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 I look fa- so fondly on my time at ESPN because as a sports fan, you're, I'm like, I did everything I could have wanted to cover there. I, I went to the draft two weeks into my job at ESPN. I, I went to Chicago for the first draft outside of New York. Um, I got to be there in the green room and see behind the scenes of what was happening. And I'm just oh thinking, how, how did how did I get this? Like, that was like probably a like, pinch me moment, moment, right? You're like, holy shit. Like, I mean, I can't believe I'm here. The, the pinch. The pinching moment came when Charles Haley was screaming my name at the draft. Um, he was just like, Nada, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's like, yeah. Why don't you the Cowboys? And he's saying that to me. He's screaming my name in a room that's filled with Jerry Rice. Um, who else was in there? John Elway was there. And like all these guys that are legends in the game, yeah. you know, Marshall Falk, he, they hear Charles Haley screaming, Nita, like, like absurdly screaming Nita. Yeah. Um, in this small room, no bigger than, than the room I'm in. And it was, it was cool to walk in there with, with some of my ESPN folk. And, um, yeah, I have like... this Hall of Famer screaming my name. <laughs> and it, it was, it was good for my street cred. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's, a, that's a moment you'll never forget. No. And um, so I, I was, I was spending my time at ESPN initially kind of like going around catching the highlights. I was, helping with the sports center, um, account. I was helping with the ESPN. Like I was, I was helping out wherever they needed me to heading into the fall, which was football where I was initially hired primarily to focus on NFL and, and take their NFL digital coverage to the next level. And they had me on Monday night football where I was working directly with John Gruden and Mike Tirico. Gruden hates social media. He still does. Um, and so I was, I was focused on like, how do we bring people behind the scenes of the Monday Night Football weekly production? And so the entire, entire three years that I was there, I was at ESPN for three years before they, I burned out. Um, I spent every Monday night in a different city, wherever Monday Night Football was. Oh my um, and that was primarily what my job was. <laughs> so you probably worked your tail off in that drill role and you, you got a lot out of it, but you said you burnt out because it was just the pace was so much. And was it yeah. exhausting? Yeah, it was um, that final year with the Cowboys where I was working 90 hours a week. That was pretty much what my entire three years at ESPN was. And I feel like that ESPN, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the last season with the Cowboys prepped me for what was to come with ESPN because I was already going in and like, work shape essentially yeah right right you're 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 season ready (laughs) i was seasoned ready and i mean i i will say i had my time off at the time you know i would have a week off here or there that i would get away from whenever i was like dying but and i had family close by my uncle and and two of my favorite cousins and my aunt were were near a 90 minute drive away so anytime i just needed to get away i would go to their place and crash and my aunt would just make me some homemade food take care of me and it, it was um, but unfortunately, like, I, I love that ESPN gig so much, but it just, it, it got to be a point where I was traveling more than I was even able to be in Bristol, Connecticut. I was on the road working. I would get one day off a week and most of the time it was Tuesdays. Um, and even on my days off, um, there was always news coming out who's injured, you know, what, what's going on with the, you know, trades, um, as well as, you know, I was around the time I was in that three year window when, um, 
Colin Kaepernick became this, this, you know, this, this person that everyone wanted to direct all their ire towards. Yep. Um, and look who's laughing now. Right. Right. Um, right. Right. And so like I was in that period of, of time when it was deflate gate, it was, um, Colin Kaepernick. It was, the fuck Goodell movement. It was it was everything that was going on. It was also around the time that Barstool Sports was starting to become really popular and they were up to some of the antics that they were they were doing. So I was in that three year window where <clears throat> the NFL was at its like peak of um volatile news media conversation. Yeah. And so I really had no downtime. Wow. Um and I was traveling so much to a point where I would I would get into a stadium. My first year, I would get into wherever the city was on a Friday night or a Saturday morning. And I would be there through the game on Monday, be at the stadium until 2 a.m. I would go back to the hotel, take like a 30-minute nap. Most of the time, I wouldn't even nap. I would just like get cleaned up and pack, head to the airport, catch the 5 a.m. flight, be back in Bristol, Connecticut. And most of the time, I was going straight into the office, and I wasn't really getting that that downtime because I would land and there would be some news. Right. Um, and so that was pretty much my life, uh, as well as, you know, I was covering some of the college sports as well, or, you know, dealing with that, um, dealing with any of the controversy that was happening outside as well as keeping on top of my craft, you know, just covering the sports wasn't enough. It was also, what are the trends? What's happening in the digital space? Yeah. What's, what's the algorithm of Facebook doing? Like, how do we help adapt to that? Yeah. Um, it, it was a lot. That does sound like a lot, and um, you know, the thing that 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 you mentioned that I think is important to underscore is how much time you put into this, and you know, it and it, it probably that those three years felt like ten years for you, but you know, it set you up for a success. Like you paid your your dues early to make yourself that good that is taken to where you are now. And I'm sure like you look back and you're like, man, I worked so much, but God, your growth trajectory was probably huge. Like you probably learned so much in those three years and with the Cowboys before that, that you were just had your head was probably brimming with everything that was stuffed in there. Would you yeah. Say that? <laughs> yeah. I, I would say I learned, I learned, I learned corporate politics more than anything. Mm. In in the space, in the space that I'm in, there's no book on how you do things. We were, I I was writing the book along with my coworkers. Like there was no, there was no case study. There was no strategy on how you approach social media and social content, digital content for media entities. We were creating that every single day. Yeah. We're the ones that were pioneering. What is the most effective strategy you can make um, in the space that we were in? And what I learned was corporate politics, where it's not about how hard you work or it's not how about um, it's not about, you know, what you're doing. It's the bigger picture of where the company sits, as well as what are the motivations and intentions by the people in power that are making up the decisions and affecting you on a daily basis. So give an example. We we were doing stuff on the road where. We had to use our phones instead of getting proper equipment. We didn't have internet. Um, we didn't have the best equipment we needed to, to be effective at our jobs or efficient at our jobs. So a lot of the times we were working those 90 hour weeks, it's because we didn't have the right resources. 
And then you look to some of the other departments internally and you start to say like, there are resources here. There are people that are not really doing anything. I see this guy sitting at the cafeteria all the time. Like, why am I over here busting my ass as much as I am? But there are other departments that are more overstaffed essentially than we are. Right, right. Why are we getting this? And it it wasn't anything other than the fact that social media, digital media was just this like pariah where they thought that all we were doing was just sitting around and tweeting, right? Yeah. They didn't see the bigger picture. Yeah. So to them, it was like, they got enough. Let's just put these people there and we'll just figure it out. And so it wasn't until like my last three months that social media started to become an actual emphasis of ESPN. And so the corporate politics was understanding that the motivations behind the people in power are not always like with the best interest of the company at heart. It's the best interest of them at heart. And they're playing their own little side game up there at the top that um, doesn't help the company progress in any way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's what I learned. I also want to ask you, Nita, um, what was it like being a, Women who's South Asian in a in a pretty much white male dominated industry like sports and I assume like ESPN. It w- did you have to deal with anything from that capacity? Yeah, I, I I had to to deal with a lot in terms of. I would walk into the room and I would be the only person that was not white. I would, and it was the first time in my career. I mean it was the first time in my career that I ever had to deal with that. Even with the Cowboys too. Like I was, I was the only person, there was no one there of color. Actually there was one more person, but um, there were not many. And in college growing up, I played sports and I was so used to being around African Americans, you know, Hispanic people um, that I, it never really affected me. I would always look at it as, okay, like people are talking about, you know, minorities but I, it never bugged or came came true to me because i was always so so much in a melting pot of people right. that i right. never had to deal right. with it and so it wasn't until like i wouldn't even say espn was was as bad as um the cowboys was but it became very apparent that okay i'm a minority don't forget that you're a minority nita <laughs> and so people wow. People uh, respected what I had to say, not because I was a minority. They respected me because I was saying it right. Um, It actually became a benefit for me, the fact that I am a minority, because they started to see, oh, shit, this this chick knows what she's talking about. This chick has proven us through data that she's right. And she's also a female and a minority. She's perfect. (laughs) Like she checks a couple of I mean, she checks a couple of boxes, right? Um, so I, I, I took advantage of that. Frankly, I did. I did take advantage of that because I knew that for, for, for organizations to get with the times and not give them a check the box scenario of, yeah, we're diverse. No, you're going to actually be diverse. You're going to put me in, give me some empowerment here. Mm -hmm. I knew walking Mm -hmm. into some of those rooms that if I didn't speak up, I was doing a disservice to a ton of other people that were right behind me. Yeah. And I think the fact that you took that 
opportunity, uh, you know, bull by the horns. And not only were you diverse, which is something that you you couldn't change, but you were good. I mean, you worked hard to be good. And that combination is really powerful. And mm-hmm. I just think, um, and this is why I was so excited to talk to you, was you're a trailblazer as much as, the, as you're – uh, you know, building the path for people writing the playbook for sports world. You're also doing it for people who look like you and me, who are females and who want to do this, but, you know, don't have the role models that they, that honestly haven't been there in the sports world. So I think that's super cool. And I'm, I'm really glad that you've, you found your way to succeed and, and find, find your, you know, find your bliss and find something that, that works for you. Well, thank you. You don't feel like a trailblazer. And I think, you know, one of my favorite shows is Entourage, and one of my favorite characters is Ari Gold from Entourage. Yep. And the moment that you're happy with what you see in the mirror is the moment that you might as well retire is, like, always entrenched in me. So I'm always pushing myself to get better every single day and learn some things every single day. And I don't – I don't – this is a flaw of mine. I don't stop and think about what I've accomplished. I'm always thinking about what more I can do. Yeah. Um, and so I appreciate you calling me a trailblazer. I don't feel like I am. I feel as if that I'm still, I'm still trying to learn from the trailblazers that are ahead of me and how I can catch up to them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I want to go back to your, your, your career timeline. You finish your st- time at ESPN. You are ready for the next step. Where did you go after that? I moved out west to California. I got tired of Bristol, Connecticut. One thing that I got really tired of was coming back from those those trips, landing and everything being closed in Bristol, Connecticut around nine o'clock at night and going back to my apartment and not having any food and pretty much going hungry or going up to the office and getting food from the cafeteria. So I was so burned out. Uh, every year after football, I would go with my family to Hawaii. Uh, we would take a trip for like a week 10 days out there. And in 2018, it was different. I had just come off of, you know, my grandfather passed away in January, 2018. I went straight from my grandfather passing away to the, um, to Houston where we had a wild card game, then to, um, the suit, uh, you know, Super Bowl, uh, back to Bristol. And then we went to the pro bowl. And then I went from the pro bowl back to the Super Bowl. And then after the Super Bowl, I was so emotionally and physically drained, and it was a different feeling. And I knew that deep down, I was done. I had nothing left to give. My family thought it was like, okay, maybe you just need a vacation. Maybe you just need, you know, some some time away. Took ten days off, went to Hawaii. You know, my brother and I just had a lot of conversations throughout that time, and every single night, I kept thinking, telling him, I was like, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. I don't think I have anything left to give. I just, the thought of going back there um, and doing another year of this, just, I don't think I have anything left to me. I'm, I'm 28 and I feel so like broken, almost like your, your thinking in your yeah. career is like, am I retiring from the game of sports? Right. Right. Is this my swan um, song? Is this, is this it? And it was, and I'm, and I made the decision then that it was time to go. And so um, I moved out west to work for a company called IGN Entertainment, which is pretty much the ESPN of the video game and entertainment industry. Yep. They cover the gaming vertical. They cover the entertainment vertical, like the, the Comic-Con, Marvel, Pixar, Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, yep. um, that genre of content. 
I wasn't the biggest video gamer. I gamed a little in high, in, in college whenever we were in between, um, you know, training sessions and, and study hall. I would do it as like a, a, a mental breakaway, nothing like playing Call of Duty and shooting some people, right? Um, and so I made that move. I re- oversaw their entire social content and strategy team, um, took it from what it was, which is about, you know, a million dollar business into a, a multi-million dollar business. Um, was there for about a year and a half. And I, 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 I viewed it as like a, I was going away from Bristol, Connecticut and I was moving to Los Angeles and I was going to get to enjoy Los Angeles and understand a different industry, understand how the, how things work beyond sports. And I did get to learn a lot of that. What did you find that was the biggest differences? Funding. They were funding digital media more than anything else. Um, the amount of resources going towards the work that we were doing was just different. And it was really stunning to me when anytime we were going to go do a shoot, like we did this one shoot where uh, we went to New York like a month in to my time there. And we were doing this um, red carpet for Deadpool 2 with Ryan Reynolds and Josh Brolin. Um, we were we were broadcasting the red carpet live, um, and I was given as much resources as I wanted to to go out and just like shoot the crap out of the thing. We did this like we did this game of fuck Mary kill <laughs> between the cast of Deadpool two, where they were choosing which cast member that they would want to do. And I remember us going up there, and we were like, are we gonna get? are we going to get any kind of responses from the cast here? What, what's going to happen? Yeah. And uh, I remember asking that question. I was actually asking the questions to the, to the actors. I remember asking that question to Ryan Reynolds and he looked at me and he goes, How, like, I, I can't, he looked at me and he gave me this like amazing expression. Like, I can't believe you asked me that. I'm so excited that you asked me that. I've been asked a bunch of questions about what am I wearing? Yeah. You know, what do I think? And like, this is an actual question I want to answer. And he, similar to what I did with the Cowboys when we were going into the locker rooms and we were asking them questions that were different. Yeah. I took that same exact approach with IGN and we were doing these questions that they wanted to answer. Um, and so he immediately was just like, I'm not going to say fuck because I don't want to get in trouble by my PR person. They might come right. kill you. Right, right. Um, but um, thank you for asking me this question. I've been thinking about this for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Put some thought behind it. <laughs> and so I've had some thought behind this and he was just rambling on before he actually answered it. And so I'm, I'm saying that because we were given the resources and we were empowered to be different as whereas, you know, at the Cowboys and at ESPN, rightfully so, you were protective of the brand. You didn't want to do anything that was going to create controversy. Whereas now we were like, create controversy, pour some gas on that fire and go do it. Um, and so that was that was um, one of the main differences that I noticed early on. And then, then uh, we went and tried to do the exact same bit at the Avengers Endgame premiere. I'm sorry, Avengers Infinity War premiere um, a few weeks later. Um, and we did it. And we got so much heat from Disney PR after we published it. They said, this is a this is a Disney red carpet. You shouldn't be doing this. Like, we're not going to give you access anymore. And we're like, all right, fine. We, we got this awesome uh, piece of content. We actually had Tom Holland reply, and he immediately riffed off, fuck, Mary kill, like, quickly. 
He already knew. Uh, <laughs> he knew. He knew. <laughs> That's so um, cool. And I just love that where, you know, being a consumer of social media, being a consumer of content, there's just so much out there. You need to think differently for you to break through. Like you cannot answer like you cannot get good content if you're asking the same questions like all the other hundred media companies. And as a consumer, I want to see that content that's different from, you know, how do you feel about the movie? Like, what was the hardest part? Like, you know, like, what are you wearing? Like, you see that all the time. And this, that answer to that question is be super interesting that I would share with my friends if it was funny or, or super interesting. So I love how you, to, to be different, you got to think different. Um, that is, yeah. that is really cool. Um, Nita, one question that, that popped in my mind that I'd love your take on is throughout your career, you've been building and, you know, writing the playbook on digital media and social media, you know, through Cowboys, through ESPN, through IGN now. How has your stance on social media changed, on social media and digital media changed over these, you know, career stops that you've had? Um, it's continued to be trying to entertain your audience. I think it's changed because the main usage of social media has evolved from what it should be and what it was meant to be to now there are outside forces um, beyond the sports and entertainment bubble that have put a label on social media that I don't know how you repair it without regulation. Um, The reality is, is that the, um, social media has become toxic in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can go on there and right now it's very much a, a cancel culture. The political environment has changed it. Um, it's being manipulated in a way that there's now bots in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so my stance on it has been and continues to be when it's used in a way that is meant to entertain an audience and engage with an audience. It, it is serving what it was created to do, which is keep people connected and keep people entertained. And what it has evolved into now is something that I would not normally in any circumstance be want to touch it with a 10 foot pole, um, which is manipulation and toxicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And the other thing that I think is um <clears throat> interesting about social media versus any other discipline is how fast it evolves. Right? I'll give you an example from my point. During this quarantine, I discovered TikTok, you know, as a, you know, 30 plus year old male, right? It's not exactly in my target set, but I was like, hey, why the hell not? Let me, let me get that and, and, and check it out. And this was not on the map for me a year ago, maybe not even six months ago. And the, I, I cannot wa- stop watching some of the content because it's so funny, so entertaining, as you said, and it's not filled with things that, you know, are just not relevant to me. So for you, how do you keep up with the new next platform, the new next wave and make it relevant and authentic to the, you know, employer, the, the platform that you're promoting? Well, um, that's, <clears throat> that's one of the biggest battles that any content creator faces. How do you maintain relevant to the next generation? Right. 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 It's, you know, when I was with ESPN, it was Snapchat. Snapchat started to create their discover page. How are we going to, you know, engage with that audience? Cause it's always about that 13 to 18 year old demographic that you're trying to keep engaged. Right. Yeah. 
And so a few years ago, Snapchat, how do you keep engaged with people on Snapchat? And then it, now it's TikTok. And so other than, you know, the, the creepy way to say it is you got to go find a bunch of 13 to 18 year olds <laughs> and go understand what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the real way to do it is through like a more in-depth and thought out internship program where you're going and you're hiring some of these people that are in college, in high school, wherever, and you're bringing them in and you're saying, hey, come up with some content ideas and you're learning from them. As much as they're trying to learn from you, you're also learning from them. Um, and so for us, it was, or in any of my previous stops, it's how do you how do you find people that understand the basic concepts of social media, that understand what the landscape is, but also are coming to the table with an understanding of what they're doing? Yeah. And so TikTok, you're not going to see many more social platforms pop up the way TikTok has because it takes a lot of funding to like break through. And they were already coming out of position of power with musically, like yeah, they evolved sure. musically. Bike dance is also well funded. Um, but they're also approaching it. And, and to the to the point I made previously about you know social media becoming toxic, TikTok is full of entertainment. TikTok is probably by far the best social platform that's been created in the existence of social platforms. How are like, you can manipulate it just like anything else. Yes. But the amount of entertainment, the amount of like pure right. content that's exactly. coming out of TikTok is, is incredible. And yeah. it's, it's going to push every other social platform in a way that they've never been pushed before because the entire thesis of what TikTok was built on was about the influencer marketing and the influencer creativity. Whereas Twitter, Instagram, or I wouldn't even say Instagram, Twitter, Facebook are, are really built upon how controversial you could be. Like, what can you create that's going to get people either triggered or pissed off enough to a point where they're just going to spiral out of control? And it, it's in it, those platforms have created a little bit of a mental health conundrum, right? Yeah. Whereas TikTok, you could just be scrolling TikTok for an hour and not even realize you've been scrolling for an hour because you're laughing at every single video and yeah. how creative it is. And also, one effect that TikTok's going to have that people aren't talking about is this next generation of kids is going to be the most creative uh, generation of our of our lifetime because. Yeah. They're spending their time on TikTok and the content that it takes to be viral on TikTok, you have to think uber creative. You can't just like, some people are just going to get up there and dance. Um, <laughs> but the ones that are really breaking through are like the, the ping pong balls on the, uh, on the, the pots, right? Yeah, right. Dropping right. it and it's going into the cup. Um, those are the ones that are going to break through. And to think that way, it's just, gosh, I'm so excited to see how they, how, how that generation evolves into. Yeah. And to your point, I think, um, the feeling I get after watching TikToks is not a sense of loneliness or a sense of like, uh, man, like this other person is doing X, Y, and Z and I'm not. Like, you know how some other social media, like definitely Facebook and Instagram, you just feel like everyone is curating their lives in a way that makes it look like they're having an awesome. Well, TikTok, it's just like them in their homes filming a video with pots and pans, right? It makes you feel good and it's not about jealousy. So that I think the way it makes consumers feel is a big impact that you don't think about all the time of what other social medias don't do. 
or the other yeah. platforms. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. That um, that is a great uh, analysis on it, and then understanding why I liked it so much. <laughs> um, it's just a different platform. It's a different beast, and I think yeah. it's not meant to do anything but entertain. And it's pure content, and 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 it goes back to what I was saying with with my time at ESPN, the Cowboys, everywhere else. It's it's about how can you create content that's going to engage and entertain the audience. And, and now it's a completely different social landscape than it was even a few years ago because everything's about to be super sensitive to what the conversation is. Like what has Donald Trump tweeted? Is it probably like what, what is society society's like main um, trend right now? And how do we avoid using even like one single word that's going to piss off someone else, you know? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, that makes me hard. Okay. Let's uh, chat about your most recent uh, opportunity. So you, yeah. you finished your time at a uh, year and a half at IGN. What, what did you do next after that? <clears throat> so I um I met a guy named Jim Cavell who's now my boss and CEO, founder, co-founder of Influencer. I met him last May, May 2019, and I wasn't really interested in leaving IGN. Um I was still burned out on sports and in fact, I didn't even watch sports my entire time at IGN. Did not watch any sports at all because I was so burned out on sports. Didn't like on Sundays I was going to the beach instead of watching NFL Saturdays. I was sleeping in, I was enjoying my vacation from sports. Sure. Sure. Um, I met Jim Cavell, um, in May of 2019, we had lunch and he was interested in getting to know me and my background. We actually got connected through a guy named David Schwab. David Schwab's the SVP of like brand partnerships at Octagon Sports, which is an agency that represents Steph Curry and Giannis and um, a bunch of other top athletes. Um, so we got connected, we had lunch, and he was telling me about the company that he built, Influencer, and what he was starting to prepare for, which is the future of college sports in college sports, excuse me, in a name, image, and likeness world, which uh, if you're up to date on that, basically it means that's how athletes in college sports are going to be able to make money off their name, their image and their likeness. And so what he was doing at the time was starting to think about how does his platform influencer, uh, attack the college space to allow athletes to make, to monetize their NIL. And so I was like happy where I was. I wasn't really thinking about leaving um, when we started to talk, it was a, I initially started consulting for him and was more interested in just like helping on the side hustle and continuing my, my job. I was enjoying my vacation from sports and yeah. I was more focused on, you know, spending my time with my dog out hiking in LA versus anything else. Um, but he really started to sell me and, and Jim, you know, I, I Jim's an in- incredibly motivating guy. He, um, you hear him speak and you want to just run through a brick wall. (laughs) And so, uh, I, uh, as I started working and consulting for him, he was going through a sale of the company where he was, you know, initially he was pre-funding. It was the, the company was moving, uh, in, in making sales based off of the platform as it existed. And they were, they were skyrocketing, which is why me consulting with them was, was helpful they had signed when I, when I first started consulting, they were only at about 50 schools. By the time I was done, they were at 75 and growing even faster to a point where they were approached by a company called teamworks 
who was basically the Gmail to influencers YouTube. Um, they were functioning with the teams uh, and how they were staying connected with their athletes. They approached Jim about an acquisition. And throughout that process, I was helping Jim kind of evaluate what the best next steps were. And we both felt that the Teamworks acquisition what made the most sense. And as part of that, he was like, I, I want you to be here. Like, what can I do to get you here? Um, and so it became abundantly clear that my future was headed that way because Jim put the sell on it. And when Jim, Jim's a, an incredible salesman and um, he, he, he was able to convince me that this was the right move for me. So uh, when I was evaluating this opportunity, I, I went back to just like reflecting upon my career and thinking, Every time I made a decision to move from job to job to job, it was it was either an, an opportunity I couldn't turn down or it was um, an emotional decision of I'm just so burned down and exhausted. Sure. Um, and this one was different. This one was a oh my gosh, is this one this one was about if there was ever a time for me to take a chance and get out of my comfort zone and do something that was completely different this is the opportunity. So I, I made the decision of I'm going to take a leap of faith and I'm going to see what happens here. So I, I pulled the trigger and I took this opportunity after the acquisition closed. They hired me on as a chief operating officer of influencer. And my job here is primarily building our platform, taking advantage of everything I've learned throughout my career and helping athletes, um, helping empower athletes with content um, in a way that's growing their brand. So whereas I was helping grow the Dallas Cowboys, the ESPN, the IGN brands as an entity, now I'm focused on the athletes that are in our platform and how can I help get them on a successful strategy to grow their own social platforms, as well as navigating um, our sales, marketing, client success, and our clients, as well as how, how we're partnering with the right companies out there to help us grow our team and uh, team and athlete usage. Wow. That's wow. a big job, Nita. That's awesome. Um, can, can you tell us about like growing an individual's social media presence or their content strategy? Like what's an example of how you do that? Let's say I'm an up and coming college athlete doing well, doing my thing, want to, you know, monetize my name, image, and likeness. What would you tell me? Like, Samir, you're, you're a damn good football player. Here's what you should do. I'd say, Samir, you're right now winning on the field. <laughs> you're losing off the field. You're not putting anything on your social platforms. Here's what you need to do. We're sending you content. If you open up your influencer app, you've got content coming into your, your gallery. What you need to do is after you win, the first thing you need to do is go grab the best picture and put it up on your Instagram page. Because that's the, the op most opportunistic window is that 30-minute window after game's over when the fans are out there trying to celebrate on social media, when the conversation's at its peak. You need to have some content out there that's going to take advantage of that opportunity. And you need to put it out there in a way that's authentic to you as, as a human. So if if you, you love Drake and you get hyped to his um, music before you go out and play – and you really identify with the guy, maybe pull a Drake quote and put it out there of with the, in the caption. It's 
understanding that after a loss, the best thing you can do is not look at your mentions. It's understanding that you need to program it more than once every 30 days in order for you to grow. It's also understanding that anytime that there's like something to celebrate as a team, that you're not only celebrating yourself, but you're celebrating the team as a whole. It's understanding like who your voice is, what your voice is and how you can create a social strategy based upon that. And what our job now is to do, like what we're doing right now at Influencer is during this, um, during, during the George Floyd protests and the BL, Black Lives Matter protests, um, what we're doing is our entire pro athlete network, we're sending them content. We're sending them images. In fact, I'm looking over here because I, I have some stuff coming in <laughs> from our designers. Um, <clears throat> we're sending them content of I'm with Cap, an MLK quote with Colin Kaepernick. Yeah to put it on your social platforms. It's um, a swipe up for Instagram stories to register to vote. It's here's how you can help donate. Um, we're seeing right now more than ever that athletes are wanting to break away from their on-field persona right. and start to get more active. And so now we're starting to see the, what I've always felt was necessary in sports, which is the social activism of athletes. They are more than like the athlete, like no longer should they just shut up and dribble, right? It's it's yeah. about time that they step up and start using their platform in a way that is going to move the needle forward for this country. And so regardless of whether you vote Republican, Democrat, whatever, at this point, it, any of these athletes being silent and not taking advantage of their social audience, they're complicit with the status quo. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. what I'm trying to tell athletes is, you know, in a respectful, there is a respectful way, there's an apolitical way to go about being active in what we're currently experiencing as a country, which is a need for change. If you choose to go in and to want to be involved, but don't want to alienate people, here's how you do it. And we're sending them content that is apolitical, that is purely going to help them um, get their voice, get their beliefs out, but not say, you know, fuck Donald Trump or yeah. fuck Joe yeah. Biden, right? It's, right? it's something that's just going to keep the, their audience at least understand that here's how you register to vote. Here's, you know, what my core beliefs are. I'm with Colin Kaepernick. He was right. I'm going to, I'm going to kneel with him this upcoming season, stuff like that. That's awesome. And I think that is super valuable for an athlete, right? Who has like, who wants to get into the conversation of whatever it is, but they just don't know how. And you guys are, sounds like you're instrumental in helping them do that and, and craft the story that they want to tell. That's super cool. Yeah, we're just giving them content at their fingertips, which is what, which is what we do at Influencer. Yeah. We're, you know, pulling in content sources to, you know, whether it's Getty Images or USA Today, as well as the, the school's own content creatives are popping in stuff uh, into them. But now what we're doing is we're actually creating custom content and we're giving it out to them. Like, I think the most important thing that I, I tell these athletes all the time, the most important thing that you can do is tell your audience to register to vote. So do it. <clears throat> register to vote and then go vote. And so we're creating, you know, 10 different pieces of content for these guys from now until um, deadlines to just put the message out there. Swipe up to vote or swipe up to register to vote. Here's, you know, make sure you go vote. Here's a deadline in this state. Get out there. Tell people to register to vote and then actually vote. That's awesome. So 
sounds like you're passionate about this this role. And, and I know this was a, when you took the role, it was a big, uh, you know, jump for you. And like you're you're taking a risk to do it. How have you enjoyed it so far? What have been the what have been what has been your action now? You're what eight 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 nine months in. Yeah, I mean it's 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 incredible. I'm flexing different muscles that uh you know I've never had an opportunity to really work on. You know, now, now it's, it's no longer about, you know, how this piece of content is. It's, you know, what is the model behind why we're doing things? What's the ROI behind this? It's a little bit more of like a business. Um, I'm flexing my business muscles a little bit more here. Um, it's how do we, how do we scale this process? How do we, you know, make sure that my team who's currently remote, how do we make sure that they're, they're feeling as if they've got everything that they have, that they need to be successful in their job? It's, yeah. How do we manage priorities? It's it's much more of a like high level looking down and managing what's in front of us role than anything. Um, it's been a challenge, especially during COVID. Um, it's it's not been um, it's not been the easiest to navigate. However, we all understand that we we have an opportunity in front of us to to take advantage of this. Let me take a back. Take a step back. The last three months of COVID have moved the ball forward on digital adoption by ten years. Oh, by far, by far. And so, whether it's Zoom, Skype, or even just basic like adoption of social platforms as your as your content source, as shitty as COVID has been to our economy. It's done wonders for people like me who've built their entire career around social content and digital media. Yeah. There could not have been a more forward leaning or forward like push behind what I've been doing other than this remote structure that we're in. Yeah. So because of that, it's it's also like put us a little off balance because now we're starting to realize that we can't just take this this old approach of how we do things. We have to now like meet them at the game of thinking forward. How do we keep moving um, digital media forward in a way that people are still trying to catch up to? Because if you're doing what other people are doing, you're, you're a relic, you're ancient. You have to be doing things in a more innovative way, which is why we're fo- so focused right now on empowering these athletes to push content and use their, their social distribution as a means of social good. Um, and so you know, it's been it's been a challenge because COVID has disrupted the sports world in a way that I'm not sure necessarily how some sports recover. But at the same time, it's been it's done wonders for what our core mission is, which in influencer, our core mission is to serve storytellers. We say it every day we serve storytellers. And right now we're living that out in, in a way that we could have never imagined even just six months ago. Yeah, because we would have never been given this opportunity had COVID not happened. Right, that's awesome that there's a silver lining to anything, right? And yeah, um, and the people who have focused on building their businesses that are um, location agnostic and, and digital proof, which which you've done, are the ones that have succeeded. And I think that's mm-hmm. so cool that you know this thing has raised the platform for digital and it definitely has pushed my adoption, my company's adoption forward into te- you know, technologies and, and, and platforms that you would not have, would have been such a slow burn to get there. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, let's move on to our rapid fire questions. And let's these are the questions that uh, we've asked all our interviewers and got some really super cool responses. So first question for you, Nita, is, um, is there an item or service that you've bought recently that has dramatically improved your life? This could be small or big. Anything that you've, you've, you've bought recently that you're like, wow, I could not live without this. Audible. 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 I, I audible. So I, I'm, I, I didn't used to read books uh, that much. I used to always think like I'm writing a book and what I'm doing, but now I'm, I've become a little bit more nostalgic about understanding what other people's journeys are. So audible has been wonderful for me to understand more bio biographical ways that, people have thought about their own careers. What have your been favorite books that you've um, read through audible? Uh, most recently, Bob Iger's book has been oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So good. Fantastic. Right of a lifetime. Um, I, for influencer, I think one of the books that's really like, that's really molded my thinking has been a book called play bigger, uh, which is basically the people behind uh, uh, the Uber startup um, journey. Um, just understanding like what makes a company successful and what doesn't. Um, I loved that book. Awesome. Two great recommendations. <laughs> um, second question. When you think of a South Asian person you look up to in your field or outside your field, who would you say comes to mind and why? I really love Hassan Minaj. I think he's, he's, um, he's just created this personality that's so real and authentic as funny as the guy is. He's so intelligent. Yeah. And, um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like he's become sort of the voice of our, of our generation now. Oh, for because sure. Of the do. I, I love Hasan Minaj. And I think the one that really spoke to me was when he talked about the black lives matter movement with, yeah. a, with a viewpoint from a South Asian. Like I was like, Oh my God, this is exactly what I'm going through what I'm thinking about. And he just um, vocalized it so clearly. And I just, you're right. He's like the beacon for us. Like he, yeah. he takes everything that, that we go through and like we've been through and what we need to go through and communicates in a way that makes sense. Yep. Cool. Okay. Um, what is a movie or book that has had the most impact on you? Um, ooh, that's a great question. I think book, I think I love Bob Iger and I've always, when I was with ESPN, I, I just was always impressed by him. I think his book and understanding, understanding the behind the scenes of what he was thinking has had a major impact on me because it's not about his own beliefs. It's about his own him listening and being empathetic to his team. That's I, I've some sometimes come off as a bit cold and in and distant to my team and people that work for me because I'm so focused on results. And I think hearing his perspective that it's it's okay to kind of be um kind of be uh what's the right word it, it, to, to be a little supportive of other people's feelings at times has, has had a huge impact on me at this point in my career where it's, it's not just about results, results, results. It's about, you know, it, it's about more than that. Yeah. And the other thing I loved about what Bob, Bob, Bob Iger said is having only three priorities. Like if you have more than three priorities, then you've lost people, you've lost your organization. So that's one of the things yeah. that I've taken in my job too, is like, you can only focus on so much and make sure they're damn good. So I, I, I really like that as, as a takeaway from, from that book. 
Yeah, and as far as movie, like I love watching like short documentary series. Um, you know, there's there's just so many that I can I can start riffing off that I don't really have just one specifically. Unfortunately, okay. that's a pop out answer, but it's true. Yeah, I had a really good chat with uh, Gotham Chopra on um, on South Asian stories, and he did the St- Stephen Curry. Um, yeah. thing on Facebook, li- Facebook uh, watch, which I thought was awesome because A, it was inside the staff, but B, it was using a platform that was up and coming, like Facebook watch. So, um, that w- that was really neat. And I, I love documentaries like that. Just enough where you can, you can, you know, not have to devote three hours to a documentary, but get that hit w- when you need it. Yeah. Cool. Um, this is a big question, and I'm curious to know your, your response. If you had to give an up-and-coming South Asian person who's interested in sports, who's interested in digital and social media and breaking in, what advice would you give them and why? <laughs> Listen, um, we as South Asian people get stereotyped to be doctors or engineers. Exactly. Yeah. I look at at my own family, extended family, and I've got so many cousins that are doctors, Um, not as many engineers as before, but still a healthy amount of engineers, but mostly doctors. Um, Listen, I think I think ultimately the best advice that I can give people. And it's one that I lived out in my own career is find what you're passionate about and do that. Do it in a way that helps the people around you understand that this is more important to you than anything else. For me, it was sports. I played sports growing up. If you knew me um, when I was younger, you knew she's, she's a sports girl. She plays soccer. She plays basketball. That's what she does Um, because I loved it. If you find what you love and you do in your great, and you work hard and you do great things at what you love, um, it's easy to convince people around you that you can be your own unique individual. Um, and that was, that was the battle that I fought even with my own mom, my own mom, you know, she, she still gives me shit for not doing an arm day them. She gives me <laughs> shit for not doing Bharatanatyam. You know, she gives my brother shit for not having his poodle. Yeah. Um, it's just the reality of, you know, the more traditional Indian families that are out there. Yeah. Um, and so the advice I would give is be passionate about what you want to do by understanding what you're passionate about and focusing on that and doing it in a way that people around you know this is what she loves. This is what he loves. This is what they are destined to do. And go do it. Go do it. And if you fail, who gives a fuck? I love that. I love that. And to one of the things you had said earlier in the interview of how it's important to find the people and network with um, individuals who are in the industry or what you're passionate about and just learning from them and, you know, building your base of, of, of constituents that will help support you. Maybe not now, but maybe in, in, in later. I think that is um, amazing advice to people who just want to, you know, find their passion is to find the people who've done it and in the industry that you are, are in or want to be in and, 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 and get connected. Yeah. I, networking is key and it's not the networking of, I need you to help me when it's most convenient for me. It's the, yeah. I want to be empathetic to what your, your needs are as well. So 
I've, I've taken it upon myself during COVID to just check in with all my mentors, check in with all the people that I've been close with and just, just ask them, how are you doing? How are things going? And if you're going to people with not a need, but just going to them just to understand like, Hey, how can I help? How can I be of service to you? Um, that's when you truly take your network from, from just being like a, an acquaintance to actually being a lifelong yeah, friend. Providing value. That's awesome. Okay. Nitha, any final ask for the audience, anything you'd like to leave them with before we close? I mean, if anyone out there is inspired by the, the ramble that I just went on throughout this entire, what, 90 minutes now? Wow. It was a lot of fun, Samir. Um, if anyone's inspired by anything I said, like I would love for you to reach out to me and, you know, see how I can help you as well as like answer any questions that maybe you might have based off of what you heard. Um, but again, like I know, I know how difficult it is to, to come up in this world when your culture tells you to do something that's may not be aligned with what you want to do as an yes. individual. Yes. Um, I was able to get to where I wanted to be despite those forces pushing me to do something different. Um, and so you can too. It's doable. Um, let me let me be the beacon for you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And for everyone listening, we'll include Nita's contact information in the in the bio. So feel free to reach out. You know, I've had such a blast talking to you, Nita. Thank you so much. Thank you for your real stories and, and everything with it. So um, look forward to keeping you in touch and, and can't wait to see all the amazing stuff you do with Influencer and Beyond. Hey guys, it's Samir again. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world, please check out SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.